Good afternoon. This is Friday, October 30th, 2015, and happy early Halloween. We are having our special CEO call today with our host, M.K. Marsden. M.K., how are you? I'm well, Chicky. It's great to hear your voice today. Happy Halloween. Yeah, it's been too long. Well, listen, I'm not going to waste any time because I know you are just itching to get at this interview with your guest, so I'll let you introduce her. Fantastic, Chicky Fink. So hello, ladies. So great to be here again this Friday. And I want to welcome my special guest. Barbara, thank you for joining me here today. And I want to also thank you not only for the time you're dedicating today, but being so generous in helping me prep for this, for this radio show. You've just been exceptional in making yourself available which isn't easy when you're the CEO of a fast-growing technology company. So thank you for that. In looking at your bio... Oh, thanks. In looking at your bio, you know, I went over to your LinkedIn profile, and I was really struck by the fact that as the CEO of your company, you're so clear that you have two priorities. First is guiding the team so that they build the lasting relationships with your clients, and that they really get to understand the business challenges that your clients are dealing with in their industry, in their companies. And then your second one, equally important, is creating a culture in your business. And again, you use the term long-lasting, but you just don't think of that often in today's economy, particularly where people are changing jobs, companies are compressing and expanding so rapidly. But you're clearly committed to building long-term relationships in every area of the business. And then when you're not working hard, which you do, you're all playing with your husband and your son. And I know you're running from here to Halloween Parade later. So, again, thanks for making time. Thanks for joining us from Austin, Texas. And now let me just ask you, is there anything in your bio that you want to add before I get into our discovery thing? together today. So, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me, MK. I'm obviously thrilled to be here. Um, I think the only other thing that I would add is is if you were to look me up on LinkedIn, you'd, you'd see there was a, a good chunk of my, my early career that was spent uh, playing sports. And, and, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about was the impact that that's had on me and how I've been able to, to use a lot of the things that I learned early on, you know, and in college, things like that, to shape me as a leader and hopefully make me a better leader. So, you know, really kind of excited to talk about some of the parallels in my sports career with my business career as well. Yeah, and just like for the record, right, let's clarify, you didn't only play sports. You played NCAA level competitive sports, that, right? You were a walk-on for Duke women's lacrosse. I mean, so you're a proficient athlete. Uh, you know, it's funny. It feels like a million years ago. So uh, in some ways, I don't feel as proficient as I was, but it absolutely is a, a part of my life that I'm very proud of. And it's interesting, uh, the Duke women's lacrosse team actually just celebrated its 20th season. Um, and it was amazing participating in, you know, all of the sort of sharing of memories and, and seeing some of the incredible women who've come through that program. Um, it really makes me just so proud to say I was a part of that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So now just so the audience has a little bit more context, tell them about 360 Partners. 
what is your company? What's the business that you're in? What are the clients that you serve? Sure. So you mentioned we're based in Austin, Texas, um, but 360 Partners is a digital marketing agency, and we're what I would kind of call a, a specialty firm. Uh, and what I mean by that is we have sort of three core competencies on which we focus. The first is, you know, paid, paid search marketing. Uh, the second is organic search or, you know, SEO. And then the third is CRO or conversion rate optimization. And really, the, the nexus of, of those three things is they're all very much about data and measurement. I actually began my career in PR, which was fascinating, especially because I did it in D.C. You know, and politics is a, an interesting business, to say the very least. But what I realized was I missed the ability to truly be able to look a client in the face and say, here was the impact I had on your business. And so what really attracted me to 360 Partners about five and a half years ago when I came on board was they had this sort of similar outlook. They wanted to really help businesses grow. They wanted to do things that were meaningful, hopefully not just to the bottom line of a business, but to, you know, their industry, you know, for that particular company, hopefully its employees by helping to grow the business. And so what we've really tried to do is through our marketing efforts, make sure that we're doing things that matter, that can be measured, um, and, you know, have really in-depth conversations with our clients about that. And then, you know, of course, if we can also <laughs> grow our own business in the process, that would be fantastic. And, you know, this is a place that I'm so proud of. You know, it feels sometimes like 50 and a half years that I've been here. Um, and in other ways, I feel like I'm just barely getting going. So, so much, you know, to get out of bed every morning and be excited about in this place. That's great. That's great. Yeah, you're in a really rapidly growing area of digital marketing and one that, you know, a lot of people don't really understand. But how does a, a, a woman from Duke University growing up in Washington, D.C., end up in Austin, Texas? <laughs> well, that's the funny part, right? Because you know, part of what excited me about this organization is it's focused on, on women leaders. And I have a passion for leadership overall. And so what kind of always makes me chuckle is this most recent chapter in my life has been such a huge one in terms of developing my leadership skills. It was actually a man who got me here. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I was in D.C. working and, you know, enjoying my 20s as, you know, young women do, and lo and behold, I fall in love with a West Texas boy. He was stationed with the Army there, and the next thing you know, we're talking about moving to Texas. He'd uh, grown up way out in the mountains, and he said, you know, when I get out of the Army, I want to move back to Texas, and there was this sort of long pause, and I said, tell me where in Texas, because <laughs> I'm a city girl, and you're a mountain boy, and I don't know about the whole West Texas thing, and he said, well, how about Austin? So we basically moved here kind of on a whim, not really knowing anybody, and joined a softball team and tried to do a bunch of social things. And lo and behold, through a connection on this team, I met the two owners and founders of our company. And here I am five years later and just love Austin so much. The people are wonderful. The lifestyle is fantastic. The weather, not today, it's pouring, but most of the time the weather is great. So it's just funny. You know, I really owe a lot of my recent success and my recent joy to my husband. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wiggle on something that we talked about earlier when we were prepping for this interview. We were talking about, you know, feminism. And we were talking about 
you know, the role of men in feminism and, and feminists not bringing men along. But when I look at, at your success, right, it's, it's force and your success there, your relationship with your husband, the relationship with your son, your athleticism in your marriage. So what do you think about all of this? I mean, you, you have a really cool point of view on, you know, us being in this one together to get where we want to go. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, um, believe it or not, some of that actually stems from conversations with my mother. Um, you know, she went to Smith College as an incredibly smart and well-educated woman, was in banking before she made the choice to stay home with my brother and me. Um, and, and, you know, as we sort of talked about her life and her choices, one of the things that sort of came out of that is while I think feminism, feminism overall is, is a good thing and probably a necessary thing in terms of putting women on a more equal playing field, she tells some really interesting stories that really provoke my thinking in terms of, geez, did we in some ways miss the boat in terms of, you know, bringing men into that dialogue more early? And, you know, it's a tough one to comment on because I wasn't necessarily around when feminism got its start, but I think women of my generation and, and the younger generations are feeling some of the ripple effects of, of the beginnings of that, and so I kind of feel as though especially in my position now, mm. you know, bringing men into the conversation. And for me, what that looks like is, you know, developing young men leaders as, as much as I can develop young women leaders. And, you know, how do we help men understand what we want when we mean by being on equal footing? And it's not that we want to discount their talents or their strengths, but we want to be fully acknowledged for the strengths and talents. And, and I would even go so far as to say differences that we bring to the table as, as women leaders. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, you're really, you're walking your walk, too, and living your talk. You work in a very male-dominated industry, right, mm -hmm. agency, business, but particularly the marketing tech side of it. Your company mm -hmm. was founded by men and is, is very, you know, male-empowered. And then you're in a, a city, you know, Austin, Texas, where most of the venture capitalists and a lot of the advisors and board members are, are men as well. And yeah. you're pulling everybody up in the process. I mean, that's really your commitment, right, is to pull everybody up to the highest level of performance. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that um, we focus a lot on, and you mentioned it already, MK, is, is the culture of our organization. And, you know, we have six core values, and we spend a lot of time talking about those that's a passion project or part of a passion project for me um, is, is how do you use those, you know, concepts like those values to develop strong leaders. And, and to me, you know, in a perfect world, gender wouldn't be a part of the discussion at all. I don't think that's realistic, but where I think you can make an impact is if you spend time focusing on developing people who value the right characteristics in a great leader, it becomes gender agnostic because those people then learn how to spot, you know, great leaders themselves or people who have the potential to be great leaders one day and they become interested in developing those leaders. So, you know, the, the hope is, you know, I can create my own ripple effect, right? I can yeah. really, um, you know, make it less about gender and more about 
spotting everyone's individual strengths. And, and, you know, in some cases that might mean that they are not, you know, necessarily predisposed for a leadership role. And is there a way to train them so they can become one? Or do you need to put them in a different role entirely? You know, I think it's a multifaceted thing to be sure. <laughs> so that's complicated, right? Like in, in talking to a lot of CEOs, they manage to the P&L. But you're going way, you know, broader and deeper as the CEO. You're in a fast-growing company, a constantly changing industry. How do you mm-hmm. find the time to manage, grow the business, you know, at its revenue numbers and its hard numbers, and then discover and invest in soft measures, who's contributing, building out leaders, like, how do you manage? How do you balance all that? It's funny because this is such a a relevant topic for me right now because I'm in you know budgeting and planning mode for 2016, right? And so I think there are a couple of sort of buckets. You know, one is you know on on the soft side, you hire good people, and and I, I learned that lesson the hard way. But um, the good news is I learned it, and I've seen the the impact that good hires have, you know, and, and for us, what that means is we spend a tremendous amount of time in the interview process. I mean, there's, you know, between two and three rounds of interviews where I would say by the end of it, regardless of the role, that candidate has met probably six to eight people on the team. So they have a really good feel for who we are as 360 partners. And, you know, we have a really good feel for who that person is because, you know, at the end of the day, if you find the right people and you can recognize, you know, the skills and abilities that they have for the role that you're hiring them for in the moment, but you can also see a vision for them and they can, you can start to create a vision for themselves that they can, you know, pick up and run with, you know, it leads to better retention, happier employees, hopefully the opportunity to develop them into the future leaders of the company. And and I've seen that, you know, some of my right and left hands, um, are people who've been with me for, you know, three, four years now. And, you know, without them, we could never have the growth or success. And, and I think that's a really key thing is smart leaders know they can't do it all. They, they find people they trust and they empower them. And then I think on the practical side, you have to make hard choices, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if I had a money tree in the parking lot, things would be very different. Um, <laughs> Boy, do I wish I had that, right? But um, And I think that the key part about that is you then communicate those choices. If you can articulate clearly your vision to your leaders and then to your entire team, not only will hopefully they get on board and they'll double their efforts to support the vision, but they can also be participants in the vision and, and pick up the mantle and bring you their ideas and hopefully it then becomes, you know, a thing that has a life of its own. Yes, it really starts at hello, right? It starts with how you treat people when you're meeting them and looking at even bringing them on board. And then you just have to continue the investment, you know, ongoing. Absolutely. And and that, that in particular is a big passion of mine is, you know, valuing people and investing in people and, and never being complacent about those things ever, whether they've been with you for four minutes or four years, um, always looking at and thinking about what's next, I think is, is crucial to being a, an effective and 
you know, longstanding leader. That's great. That's great. So you're in a fairly young business too, right? SEO, SEM, <laughs> conversion, right? That's just an emerging yep. part of digital marketing. So you probably yep. have a bunch of millennials. And, and <laughs> you know, I read about these, you know, managing millennials. Um, I happen to share my home with one, so I don't often agree with what I read, but what have you seen in, in, in working across, you know, the generations in this, you know, getting to know people, setting value measures? What have you experienced there? Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting challenge for, for leaders. And, you know, I love people, and I actually, my degree is in psychology, so I started studying people long ago. Um, and, and it's been fascinating to see how, you know, my interest in people and, and my desire to learn about people has translated into developing good management skills and, and how to develop people well. But, you know, millennials in particular are, I think, a very interesting group. And, and what I've learned through both study as well as experience is, you know, they have really been conditioned to want to be motivated um, buy things beyond money. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. my best millennial employees are the ones who I can help craft a vision for them in partnership with them and also help them understand my vision for the business overall. And, and if I can also create a stake in it for them and make them feel like they have a voice, and it's interesting, right, because, you know, on the practical side you think, what on earth is a 22-year-old going to tell me about how to run this business? But I think, you know, there's a way in which you can ask that question and make them feel a, a part of things, and, and you never know when you might be surprised, right? You never know when the next great idea, where it's going to come from, when it's going to come. Um, and, and what I've found is, is if you do that, um, you really get the best out of your people, and you actually don't see the same kind of turnover. You know, millennials get this reputation for having a short attention span and, you know, me, 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 or, you know, it's the video game era. They always want to get to the next level. And, and, you know, I think there's some tenets of that that maybe are true, but I don't overall think that that's a fair assessment of millennials. I think they just, probably like most people, but I think they in particular want to feel, they want to feel invested in what they're doing. They want to feel that what they're doing matters. And if you as the leader can you know, make those connections or help them make those connections themselves, you'll see better production, you'll see greater retention, you'll see a happier workplace. You know, one of the things that we do every year is we do an employee survey, and it's fascinating, (laughs) the, the input and the feedback that we get. But what's also really interesting is not only do I think people really appreciate being asked, because we ask about everything, you know, their comps, their managers, the business, their clients, I mean, all of it. But when they actually see us trying to make changes based on what they said, um, it's really amazing the power that that can have on the culture, the environment, you know, the things that, that have you have staying power, especially in a business like ours, you know, people are really core to us doing our, our jobs, right? If we just had the tools, we wouldn't have what we needed to be successful as, a, as an agency. So yeah. it's interesting, and <laughs> there's a lot to it. So let's go back to, you know, your athletic experience and also your studies. How did that prepare you? 
for all of these dimensions that you're facing, right? A young emerging business and a fast-growing market, people of all ages, uh, global footprint. What's the, what do you see as the correlation? Because I actually, when I present and I talk about women's leadership, I point to my athletic career and, and when men or women ask me, what would you recommend for my daughter? who wants to be, you know, a business leader, I often point to team sports. I found that I learned a lot there. What's the correlation for you, Barbara? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think some of them will be obvious to, to any folks who, who've played sports, but the ones that I think were particularly useful and learning-filled for me um, the things around, you know, learning how to be decisive, you know. So my sport was lacrosse, um, but in many sports, especially team sports, you have milliseconds to make decisions, right, and decisions that, you know, are the difference between a goal or not or preventing a goal from being scored in my case because I was a defender, right. And so you learn to be decisive and be confident in your in your decisions. And then you also learn that having a, you know, being an elephant, right, having a long-term memory is actually not your friend in that context. Because if you're yeah. spending time thinking about the last play, you're not focused on the play that you're in. And so it's been really valuable from a business perspective. Um, it's not that I don't dwell, and my husband will definitely chuckle if, if I were to try to say that I don't dwell on things occasionally. But to me, it's if you're dwelling and you're reflecting is useful, if, if you're using it to process something, to learn from, from that situation and to make yourself or your team or your company or, or something better, that's time well spent. But you have to also recognize, okay, <laughs> I, I've now spent enough time reflecting on this. It's time to move forward. Um, yeah. I think the other things that I've learned are, you know, understanding the value of team. It sounds so cheesy, but it is really true, I think, because – you know, I had teammates throughout my athletic career. I didn't love all of them. Some of them are my right. best friends to this day. And some of them, you know, we would certainly be civil. <laughs> but, you know, we just did not mesh. And what you learn is in a team, you have a unified objective. And that's the same thing in business. And if you don't put all of the, the noise, you know, if you don't turn that down and focus on the objective – and leverage the strengths of the team, you are, you're missing an opportunity, right? You are missing the chance to be great. You probably, in some cases, may not achieve the goal at all. Um, yep. so, so you learn to, to focus, right, and to not let silly nonsense get in the way. And then I think the last one for me, and this is something that I, I really focus on with our younger millennials, because I think another thing sometimes that they struggle with is, is being okay with failing, and I think that may be a little bit of a anyone who's young. <laughs> it's hard to be wrong. It's hard to fail. But I think in sports, you know, you make mistakes all the time. You miss the shot. You miss the goal. You know, you, you blow the double team and the person scores. You, those kinds of things happen. And if you learn how to just kind of tough it out and, and you know, move on to the next thing or train a little harder in the next practice so that you don't miss that shot the next time, um, you know, it makes you better in the long run. And I think in, in business, that's true. The same thing is true. If you, you know, always have the fire in your belly, the determination to get where you want to get, to keep your eye on the goal, 
and, and of course, staying within the realms of, you know, integrity and doing things right. Um, Great leaders, great employees don't ever let setbacks get in their way. And, you know, those are just some of the big things that I learned from sports, but they've been invaluable to me in life, not just professionally. Um, yeah, Bob, I love what you brought up about, like, needing to be liked. I can I can assure you that, um, particularly because I played on men's teams, there were lots of people on my team that really didn't like me. And mm-hmm. it didn't matter. We, you know, we knew what our objective was, and it was to win the national championship. And we had yeah. absolute respect for each other's athleticism. But we're not friends. We haven't kept up with each other. We, you know, we have our pictures with the trophy. And I think maybe right. that, you know, I'd never heard anybody articulate it quite as clearly as you, and I love this. I think maybe one of the things that gets in the way for women leaders, maybe we do have a bit of the need to be liked in business. Maybe that's part of the I, learning here. Oh, absolutely. And, and I do think that is something that is more difficult for women. You know, we are socialize either overtly or subtly to, you know, get along with everyone. I also think, you know, women are more sort of programmed on the EQ side of things to to notice more in the room, to notice the reactions of people more quickly, things like that that have us predisposed to worrying about that. But, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I got in the last 10 years, and I'm going to paraphrase it so it's a little less colorful, is the boss is always a jerk. And and that's obviously a strong statement, and I don't really mean that the boss should be a jerk, but what I mean is if you know what you are doing is right, and of course where possible you want to bring your team along, but if you know what you're doing is right, you stick to your guns. And and what's interesting is there will be times where after the fact people will come back to you, maybe not the next day, but maybe a few months later or even a few years later and go, I totally get it. I thought you were a jerk at the time, but now I see why you were doing that. And and so I think that is where, as female leaders in particular, we have to really dig deep and find the confidence, find the will to stick to our guns if that's what we believe is right. And and, and I would say be okay when we're wrong and be able yeah. to stand up in front of your team and say, hey, I was wrong. Here's what I learned. Here's what I'm going to do about it. I think that actually also – really projects strength and, a, you know, capability as a leader. If you can be okay with admitting when you're wrong, um, you know, again, whether people liked it or not, they will hopefully be able to understand why you did what you did and how you're course correcting. And I think that's absolutely crucial, especially, you know, the, the more senior you become in a company because you're going to have to make hard decisions. So one of the common themes that I'm hearing and listening to you today is you're really clear on measures. You know, you measure things by value, right? Not liked, not liked, but is this person performing the value for the business? Is this, this, is this common theme that you have on, you know, producing value, honoring value? using resources mm-hmm. properly, using time properly. Um, you know, I think a lot of leaders have never really learned to lead based on value, right? To go on absolute money in, money out, or, you know, friends of or not friends of. So I love the, the theme that you're 
expressing here today, the value exchange across every area of the business and the relationship. Now yeah, I, take I, I absolutely. No, go ahead. Sorry, I was just, just going to say, I, I think that is a key to longevity, is if you merely make it transactional, you will not keep great people, you will not keep great clients, you will likely not evolve as a business. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm going to take us into the little dirty C words. Competition. <laughs> I know, I said great. <laughs> Competition. Yeah. Right? Funny that that's the new dirty C word, but it is. Um, you've been a competitive <laughs> athlete. You've competed to get to this level in your company. You compete. Mm-hmm. The business competes for clients and and access to the marketplace, you believe in long-term sustainability. Talk about competition. What is it really like to win? What is winning to you? Yeah, and it's interesting, right, because in my industry in particular, it's becoming more and more competitive with every passing minute. You know, five, ten years ago when I, you know, I started in digital about 10 years ago and 365 years ago, and, and, and the, the marketplace has changed so much. But, you know, I think as far as what winning looks like, obviously, you know, in some ways it is about were you able to win the deal, were you able to win that great employee, you know, things like that. But in other ways, I think it also is, is different for every person. And, you know, so for me, it's about not just the win, but how did I go about the win and what can I learn from the win? It's funny, you know, I, I believe, and it's something my mom has said to me for years, actually, so she deserves credit for this one, is, you know, you can learn as much from your successes as your failures. You know, there's so much discussion about, oh, you learn the most from your failures, and I don't think that it's just that. I think there are opportunities to learn from the wins. Um, but I think the other piece is, you know, how you go about winning is important, at least for me it is. You know, I, I can't imagine looking, you know, my colleagues in the face, all of whom I hold in extremely high regard, my my family, my friends, if I felt like I cheated or lied or cut corners or didn't behave with integrity. And, you know, I don't know what that will mean for the long term, you know, of this business. I believe it's going to mean great things. But um, to me, if it's just about the win, (laughs) It's going to become hollow. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point the victories will not mean the same thing. Yeah, you and I had an incredible conversation on, like, do you have to be a cheating creep to win a business? (laughs) Right? It seems like, you know, we read all these magazines, we read about CEOs, and one minute they're the smartest person in the room, and then there's a breach of integrity and they knew nothing about it and like we had a great powerful conversation about does integrity and fair play and long-term value actually put a ceiling on our growth and our careers and you had a you had an interesting commentary that I'd love you to share with the audience yeah I mean, at its root, I I hope not. <laughs> I really yeah. hope not. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it is. You know, we are at such an interesting point in our particular company. I'm at an interesting point in my career. And 
so there are many broad questions that I think about, but this integrity one is a big one because, as I mentioned, ours is a field that's becoming more competitive, and you do see a lot more corner cutting and things like that going on than, than you once did. Um, and, and I think for me, and it's funny, I tell this, I participate in, a, in a, a lot of our new employee interviews, if not all of them. And one of the things that I talk to all prospects about is, you know, let me let me tell you a little bit about my vision for the company. Let me tell you what you can expect when you come and work for 360 Partners. And one of the things I say is we're going to grow. But I can't tell you exactly how or how much or even when because here's what I know to be true. You know, the values matter. The way in which we do work for our clients matters. The way we treat one another along the way matters. And I believe that that's the recipe for big-time success. I just don't know how long it's going to take us. And I think, you know, just personally, again, I don't see how I could possibly be happy in my life. And, and I really hope and pray, you know, my dad retires today, actually, interestingly enough. And I hope and pray that when I reach, you know, 70 years old, I can look back on my career and be really proud of of, of the journey and the work product and, and the ripple effect that, that my career had on other people's careers and hopefully their lives. Um, and, you know, I've been fortunate too. I haven't had any major crises yet that I've had to face where I've had to decide between my integrity and a business decision. Um, but, and I think some of that is also based on who you surround yourself with. You know, as I mentioned, I, I hold my, my current team in such high regard. I think part of what we look for in the hiring process is people we think have a lot of integrity and who themselves would never sacrifice their integrity to, to you know, win or get a result for a client because that will catch up, you know, ultimately up to you. And I guess it's a little bit of the tortoise and the hare, you know, the tortoise was kind of slowly and steadily chugging along and, you know, the tortoise wasn't very sexy or flashy, but the tortoise did win the race. And I just cling might be too strong a word, but I, but I hold tight to the belief that, you know, we can still do great things as 360 partners and hopefully I can as Barbara, <laughs> if I just stick to that. Yeah, I love that you're in the long-term view of the business, of your leadership and your people. And I just think, Barbara, that really when integrity is a is an ingredient that is included at the initial part of the relationship, the whole relationship gets built with integrity as a component. It's not something mm-hmm. you can stick in later or after the fact. It's not something you can, you know, pull out when you don't, when it's awkward and it doesn't feel good. It has to be part of the whole foundation. And I think the fact that you talk about it as soon as people are interviewing, you know, the people who don't have it, they'll just self-select out. Yeah. And and that's another reason why you have a bunch of your team. You know, you have the people who you trust who have demonstrated their integrity time and again participating. You know, one of the questions I always ask my team after they met somebody is, hey, do you want to work with that person? You know, yeah. would you want to spend your time teaching that person everything that you know? Because, you know, we have a huge team mentality here, and a big part of that is knowledge sharing. And, you know, so would you want to share all of your knowledge that you've worked so hard to, to develop with that person, you know, do you see them teaching you something back? That's great. That's great. 
Well, I've got one last question with you before we wrap up our show, and I'm kind of combining a couple of them. But if you were going to give a billion-dollar piece of advice to existing business leaders or even somebody who aspires to someday lead a company like you do, what would that billion-dollar piece of advice be? Man, I'd love to get paid that billion dollars, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> There's that money tree um, again. <laughs> exactly. Um, gosh, that's so hard. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, you have to, you know, do what's right and you have to focus on the things that matter. If you really are serious about long-term success, then – you can't just focus on the short term. You have to be willing to take the time and go through the pains of, you know, building things properly. You know, and you could use the field of dreams quote, you know, if you build it, they will come, right? If you spend time investing in um, investing in your people or investing in your process or investing in the core things to your business, you will see the returns. And I think the only other thing that I would say is that you got to have some fun along the way. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, we laugh here. And, you know, if you've seen some of the Halloween costumes around the office today, and, you know, a little bit of levity goes a long way, I think, in business and in life. That's great. That's great. Well, Barbara, I just want to personally thank you so much for, one, your approach and your commentary is absolutely inspiring to me. I mean, I just... I'd love to work for a CEO like you that has the long-term insight, uh, the commitment to people and culture and developing leaders of all ages, of of all genders, of all races. Um, I, like you, hope that all the good guys and good gals, you know, get to win the game in the end. So so I I come at it from, from a very similar point of view. And I've just been, um, I've just so enjoyed even the process of getting ready for this interview. And again, like the time that you've taken, it's so clear, your commitment to investing and producing great results. So I'm a fan. I'm a fan of you as a leader. You know, I'm a fan of your, of your company and your business. And I just want to thank you on this Halloween Friday for spending this time with us. Absolutely, my pleasure. And, and, you know, the feeling is mutual. And, Kay, thank you so very much for having me. You bet. Ed Chicky? Yes, I just want to thank our guest. Again, we were talking to the CEO of 360 Partners, Barbara Kavnis. Did I pronounce that right, Barbara? You sure did. Great. <laughs> Wanted to make sure. And, Barbara, <laughs> would you tell folks how they can find out more about 360 Partners and how they can follow you? Absolutely. So obviously our website, which is very simple, it's www.360partners.com. We have a Facebook feed, we have Twitter, we have LinkedIn. So depending on your social media proclivities, please do follow us. Of course, you know, this is a passion of mine. I hope that's come through. I'd love to talk with anyone who's interested in talking more and you can get in touch with me via our website for sure. So thanks again so much, Chickie, for having me. Oh, fabulous. Thank you, and thank you, MK, for uh, doing this interview today and for heading up our CEO series. And we are just so excited for those people who have taken the time to listen today and for those who will be listening over our iTunes channel and over Blog Talk Radio. We welcome you to 
Find out more about the Executive Girlfriends Group on executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. And we also have both a public page on Facebook where we list all of our upcoming shows. And then there's a private group for our membership. And you can find out more about the membership uh, on our website. Thank you so much and have a super weekend.